0: The following is a paid podcast from J.P. Morgan Chase. This special message from J.P. Morgan Chase highlights its work in communities around the country.
1: There was a big hole in the wall when you first come in in the living room. These are hardwood floors. They looked very bad. The, The kitchen had nothing in it. It was just no counters. It had like some very old school wallpaper.
0: It's a familiar story, the decline of the Rust Belt. Buffalo, Cleveland, Akron, Detroit, all once great manufacturing cities worn down by deindustrialization and wage stagnation. Cities potmarked by abandoned factories, overgrown lots, and run-down houses. Skeletons of the boomtowns they once were. This kind of urban decay is called blight. Kind of like the agricultural disease that wiped out Ireland's potato crop in the 1840s. And like the potato famine, urban blight compounds on itself, pushing out residents and businesses and discouraging new investment. It's like an inside-out stranglehold where cities grow weaker and people take flight as neighborhood after neighborhood falls into a state of disrepair. I'm Brian Babylon, host of three paid episodes of Placemakers from JPMorgan Chase. In these episodes, I'm taking you to a few different cities to investigate game-changing revitalization projects spearheaded by JPMorgan Chase. To kick it off, we're headed to Detroit, where the city has been working hard to get back on its feet after bankruptcy in 2013. urban blight has slowly wrapped its fingers around Rust Belt cities for decades. Decay, depopulation, it's a story we've heard. It's
2: horrifying magazine covers we've all seen. But what's being done to fight it? So we had this amazing meeting where we sat down at this humongous table with like a whole bunch of heads of local foundations and local neighborhood groups and a bunch of very mysterious people from, you know, the U.S. Treasury and all these, you know, White white House representatives, very intimidating. And they were like, OK, Hot Shots, you guys are, you know, seem to be pretty good at your parcel mapping. That's Jerry Pavendorf, co-founder and CEO of Loveland
0: Technologies. He's a guy who saw the empty office buildings and the decaying homes But instead
2: of looking the other way, he went to work to do something about it. There was kind of a moment of silence and there was like people whisper, like, you know, is, is that possible to do? We very confidently said, yes, of course, it's possible to do. And of course, at the time, we'd never done anything like that before. Jerry is charting new
0: territory in the fight against blight. He and his team at Loveland Technologies has put every single house, apartment, yard, office and empty lot in Detroit on the map. With funding from the J.P. Morgan Chase Foundation, Loveland has revolutionized accessibility to real estate data that helps the government and everyday citizens heal the city of Detroit. Today, we're gonna dig into how Jerry and his team have been able to kickstart this healing process. In 2009, Jerry moved from the fertile lands of Silicon Valley to the not so fertile city of Detroit.
2: Working and living in Detroit, Michigan, you see a lot of things in the landscape that make you wonder, how could you get permission to fix them or build on them or clean them or do something with them? And it turns out the way that you figure out how to do those things is to understand information about individual parcels of property. Parcels. Parcels lie at the center of Jerry's work and are
0: how Loveland and its partners piece by piece are reshaping the city. But these aren't your typical brown paper parcels that you might get in the mail. I'm going to let Jerry explain
2: what they are. If you think about it, around every house that you see or store that you see is sort of an invisible outline, You know, usually a square or a rectangle, but sometimes funkier shapes that define the subdivision that somebody owns and that the government provides services for and that is taxed. And there are a lot of permissions about what you can and can't do there. Parcels are the unit of land ownership that divide up every city and town in the U.S.
0: Looking at this patchwork quote is how Jerry and his team started to approach the blight problem.
2: All of that information is public record information, but it typically either exists on paper and filing cabinets or on sort of older computers where every department that knows something different is separated from each other. And it's never been brought together before into one kind of comprehensive picture of how have we subdivided the world? How have we subdivided cities? Who owns everything? Where are people living? And then particularly in in Detroit, we started by looking for where are there problems that can be addressed as a company, we're trying to build x-ray glasses to see that kind of invisible uh, quilt of, of ownership and land use. And then we're trying to take that information in those x-ray glasses and put them onto the faces of people who might be able to do something with it.
0: So we have Detroit, the main headline in the story of Rust Belt Decline and its overwhelming blight. Blight that you can see at every turn, but no one has taken the time to launch a full-scale attack against this blight, let alone collect information on it. And we have Jerry, a tech guy who had the vision to collect that information parcel by parcel and enable city leaders to do something about it.
3: Leaders like Darnell Adams, director of inventory at the Detroit Land Bank Authority. The land bank's been around for quite some time, but with the new administration under Mayor Mike Duggan, he decided to use this land bank as a a real tool to help combat blight in the city. The Land Bank is a city government organization that is
0: responsible for keeping track of, maintaining, and disposing of all city-owned
3: properties. I saw this organization sort of sprout up in 2014. and I said, oh, I need to be a part of that program because I would love to be a part of the transformation of the city. By the time Darnell started working at the Land Bank, it had over 90,000
0: properties in its inventory. About two-thirds of that came from tax foreclosures. And the rest the city had been holding on to for as long as 15 years.
3: Right now, we're being reactive to, you know, 50 or 60 years worth of loss to the city. And so we're reacting, sort of a crisis management reaction to the status of Detroit.
0: On the one hand, Darnell and his team at the land bank were buried in paperwork on 90,000 properties that they needed to sell or demolish. And on the other hand, Jerry and his team had this brilliant vision to map the entire parcel grid of Detroit. They started to get to work on these humongous projects, but they were both going at it solo, and they both were getting pretty low on funding. Enter J.P. Morgan Chase.
4: J.P. Morgan Chase has been doing business in the city of Detroit for over 80 years. We noticed that a lot of the cities that we've done work in and had a corporate responsibility presence in has seen a renaissance, has seen some redevelopment and growth. We hadn't seen that renaissance really happen here. and We wanted to make sure that we, as a corporate citizen, as a longtime investor and presence in the city, helped it to accelerate its growth and grow faster after the bankruptcy.
0: That's Tasha Tabern, philanthropy manager at the J.P. Morgan Chase Foundation. A lifelong Detroit resident, she has seen the demise of her hometown firsthand. Since joining J.P. Morgan Chase, Tasha has been at the forefront of its revitalization efforts.
4: What we do here in the city is initiate and move forward a commitment that we put in place May of 2014 of $100 million to the revitalization of the city. One thing that I think the DLBA has been lockstep with JPMorgan Chase on is making sure that they incorporate the resident voice. So the programs that they put in place have been in response to what they've heard city residents say they need. So we need products that help respond to the fact that we have housing that is in distress and in disrepair. So can you help us figure out ways to obtain the property at a low cost and then allow us opportunities to reach capital so that we can work on our homes. So in 2012, we launched this major platform for Detroit Future City and we talked about what um, neighborhoods could look like in the next 50 years in the city of Detroit. And then right behind that, we had our, our Detroit task force go in to look at a blight strategy for the city.
0: The task force was set. But J.P. Morgan Chase needed a star player to come in and get things moving. Someone like Jerry Paffendorf at Loveland.
2: We got a knock on our door from a blight elimination task force. Like, you guys are, you know, seem to be pretty good at your parcel mapping. You've got a lot of information about properties. What would you do to help Detroit get on top of its blight and vacancy problem? And we sort of, you know, huddled and whispered. And we said, well, everybody knows there's a lot of blight and a lot of stuff to fix, but... Nobody knows how much and where, and nobody's built a system for keeping all that information updated.
0: Unsure how they were going to do it, but armed with the backing of supportive funders and the strong belief they could do it, Jerry and his team set out to create the platform that this powerful group of people envisioned. They call the project Motor City Mapping.
2: We were brought on to help convene a citywide property survey, hiring Detroiters to visit nearly 400,000 parcels of property in Detroit. And in the snowiest winter in Detroit history, we hired 200 Detroiters to visit these properties and they used a mobile application that we built. Now it's called the Loveland app, but at the time we called it blexting, which was sort of a darkly humorous term for blight plus texting. People used Blexting to see which parcels had not yet been visited. And you would touch a parcel, look at it, take a picture, and then tap through a series of questions. This project was huge. The project at the time had a very much a feeling of like NASA Or something like that, you know, had like a kind of like a moon landing feel. I mean, mission controls, you know, of course, we had to call the room that that we were working out of. And so we had these big, beautiful dashboards where all the surveyors were blue dots kind of cruising around the city. And all the photography is streaming in in and alive like Twitter, you know, fire hose feed. Um, But rather than tweets, it was the descriptions and, and imagery of every property in the city. What happened next was that the parcel
0: map went from having just outlines of properties and zones to having real usable information
2: 200 people in the course of about 40 work days were able to visit all 400,000 some properties and parcel by parcel a picture of the city emerged that had never been seen before. What emerged from that picture, which is sort of like the first picture of Detroit from space you know as far as like occupancy and condition goes, was that they found between 50 000 and 60,000 vacant buildings just a tremendous number of of vacant buildings in addition to other indicators of blight and dumping and kind of the world of blight indicators.
0: I want to ask you a small favor. Here at Placemakers, we want to learn more about our listeners and their opinions. We know you guys have strong opinions. So we created a quick survey that we'd love for you to take. Those who fill it out will be automatically entered for a chance to win a $500 Amazon gift card. To fill out the survey, go to slate.com slash survey one. That's slate.com slash survey O-N-E. Thanks. In less than two months, Jerry and his Blexing force were able to collect information about and visually map 400,000 properties in Detroit. Motor City mapping became a booming success. Here's Jarnell Adams, Director of Inventory at the Detroit Land Bank Authority.
3: Motor City mapping has been probably one of the greatest tools that the land bank has used to help combat blight, the Motor City Mapping Project, they went out and BLEX it. My team uses this information to look at some of the inventory. One key thing that we use it for is for assessments. We also use it to help our constituents as they come in. They're looking for a property. They can't really remember the address. We help them go through Motor City Mapping by going down the streets, looking at all the different parcels. And then we identify the home, and there's the image right there. And so it's been this amazing tool that has allowed for the, the public to easily access and get things done. The other thing that my team uses MCM for, we, on the public side, we drive neighborhoods and we update the condition status of those particular blocks, uh, those particular neighborhoods with the Blexing app. All of that information that lives in Motor City Mapping feeds directly into our database back here at the land bank every night. So it pushes a new image, pushes new conditions, and we're consistently using MCM to update the statuses of our land bank inventory.
0: Armed with this new tool, Darnell and his team at the land bank have been able to keep their inventory up to date like never before. And by making this inventory public for all types of property seekers, the land bank has been able to efficiently get properties into responsible,
3: enthusiastic hands. We've had such a great spectrum of people purchasing property throughout the city. We've had people from the suburbs move in. We've had people from Texas, from Brooklyn, from California, from England. It's so it's so cool. You know, it's really cool watching Detroit's diversity sort of emerge. We have a, a wall of a lot of our purchasers sitting here at, at the land bank. And you can just see the families, the couples, some investors, but people are just so excited to get their hands on these homes. And it's it's been a a very inspiring journey for the land bank so far.
0: Tasha Tabron,
3: philanthropy manager at the J.P. Morgan
0: Chase Foundation, explains why it's helpful for residents.
4: It allowed residents to provide data on homes that they have been managing and maintaining in their neighborhoods over the last five years or 10 years as they've been resident ambassadors for these homes and these properties in their in their neighborhoods, they now can actually provide data and real-time resources to the land bank on what's going on with those properties. So they're able to make strategic decisions about the dollars that are very scarce on um, eliminating blight in these neighborhoods. And now you have residents being able to activate what they know about their neighborhoods through the Motor City Mapping Program.
0: Remember the woman from the beginning?
4: There
1: was a big hole in the wall when you first come in in the living room. These are hardware floors. They looked very bad. The, The kitchen had nothing in it. It was just no counters. It had like some very old school wallpaper.
0: That's Rakia Coven, a Detroit native who bought a house through, you guessed it, the land bank. She discovered one of the properties that Motor City Mapping had collected information on. She fell in love and then bid on it. And through a lending program at a local bank, she got a loan and renovated the house.
1: Neighborhood is called East English Village, and I've always loved the houses over here. Like, they're just so pretty. They have that really old-school design to it. So... I figured I might as well take advantage and get one of these houses. The house was built in 1930, so it has a lot of the very old school style architecture. Like it has those cathedral type windows in the front. I love those. And then some of the plaster in the living room and the dining room is very old school like. I love it.
0: These days, things are looking up for her one shabby home.
1: It's really nice. I'm just working on getting the other rooms painted, um, working on the backyard, because right now it's just a bunch of grass, but I want to get a really nice patio back there in the garden everything started. I love it. I still try to soak it in sometimes that I have a house now, especially because I live in apartments like every year since college started. So it's a great feeling. I have a list of projects that I want to do, and I just love it.
0: And it's not just the house. The neighborhood's changing, too.
1: There's a really good neighborhood watch. Everyone looks out for each other. There's newsletters that goes out every month to everyone's doorstep. Uh, We have a fitness park that was just added. We even have garden clubs. It's everything.
0: From abandoned homes and lots to garden clubs, the city of Detroit is tackling blight parcel by parcel, block by block. Thanks in large part to Loveland, Motor City Mapping, and the donors that made it all
2: possible. Here's Jerry Pavendorf, CEO of Loveland Technologies. It's really become an an indispensable tool for the land bank and the Detroit Building Authority and neighborhood groups across the city who are trying to keep track of and strategize around working and, and healing properties. I think heal is the right word in a lot of cases in Detroit. They really do need to be healed. The funding from Chase has been amazing in kind of creating a a data sort of commons where those multiple parties I talked about, you know, the the city, investors, neighborhood groups, researchers, nonprofits, all benefit and it amplifies the work that each of those parties is doing already. So without the kind of funding that Chase has given here, then a transformative project like this just just doesn't exist because nobody else is going to pay for it to happen. Seeing the
0: huge impact this kind of philanthropy can have in places like Detroit, J.P. Morgan Chase has started to help Loveland bring its platform to other Rust Belt cities.
2: One of the really cool things about that is as we've gotten to know the team better and they've seen the success and the results that we've had in town, both from like, I don't want to call it nerdy, but it is what it is, both from like the nerdy, like the, the pure data side, but also how a project like this engages both the residents and the city employees in a way that's not nerdy at all. That's like sort of magic. They've been very interested in helping replicate the model in other cities and places around the country. And so we've been fortunate that um, after Detroit, um, we're actually just about to start doing a similar project in Cleveland, Columbus, and Cincinnati. Our vision is really to kind of turn the lights on across America as far as who owns everything, how is everything being used, where are there problems to be solved, how can we plan and build and conserve better than we have before.
0: Loveland has changed how the city of Detroit looks at and deals with its pervasive blight. And it's clear their work has only just begun. I'm Brian Babylon, and this has been a paid episode of Placemakers from Morgan Chase. Subscribe to Placemakers wherever you get your podcasts and head to jpmorganchase.com to learn more about JPMorgan Chase's Corporate Responsibility Program. Next time, I'll be down south on the streets, well, a street, in one of my favorite cities in America, New Orleans. I'll be hanging out on Aretha Castle, Haley Boulevard, a site where philanthropy, commerce, and culture have mixed together to turn a downtrodden thoroughfare back into a bustling neighborhood center. This paid episode of Placemakers from J.P. Morgan Chase was produced by Panoply Custom Studios. Our theme music was written and performed by Robin Hilton, and a very special thanks to Tasha Tabron, Jerry Paffendorf, Darnell Adams, and Rakia Colvin.